Show, Sports at 59 the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Don't why did you do that? I don't know. It felt weird. Because it was. Because I, I put the weird emphasis went, on Gunning. Yeah. I didn't do that with my hands, but felt yeah. like it. All right, uh, Joseph Wall getting the start. This was scheduled to be his start, okay? Yeah. Right, so don't, don't tell don't, me. Don't be reading anything into the guy <laughs> who came in and pitched a shutout in relief yeah. and look way, way better than the other guy. Don't Although, be reading into that. Ben. I mean, yeah, okay. So, so, so that would lead you down the path of, hey, Sheldon Keefe is trying to tamp down the idea that Joseph Wall could be taking more starts, except that he did the opposite, right? He's like, right. hey, is Joseph Wall pushing Ilya Samsonov or something? Oh, oh, he, he, oh he's pushing. He'd be a pusher, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was like if someone asked me if I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, I am starving. God, I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe- Jeff, Jeff Asbarty walked in here uh, to have a little little mid-show meeting. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, that's he what it was like going on. Yeah. He lo- it was the full-on, yeah, it was the Simpsons or cartoon <laughs> thing of like, why is this delicious three-course meal talking? Why is the hot chicken sandwich that I want but can't buy until 11 o'clock? Why does he look He's like that? He's never going to come in here again. Never now, again. Like, but yeah. it doesn't mean i can't turn around and look at him yeah mm. a couple more weeks of waking up at four in the morning and yeah like you don't want to know what he's gonna yeah. look like might be a manatee situation <laughs> over here anyway uh other things than cannibalism uh yeah joseph wall <laughs> is uh, cannibalizing uh, all the stars okay could we have anticipated this coming into the season yes. despite the fact yes. that Ilya samsonov was really really good right like Everything the Leafs could have so expected good. and and more and took less because he saw the opportunity because he saw a broken Matt Murray last last oh, year. Oh, I thought I thought you were Not saying coming. Year, I was like they they forced him to yeah, take the yeah, exact I, number he got. Yeah, no, last year okay. it took less to yes, join the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it worked out swimmingly for him because he emerged as the the number one starter and then was in net and a contributing factor to the Maple Leafs winning in six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, he outplayed Andre Vasilevsky, like, over the course of six games. Yes. That, that, like, the Leafs hadn't had that True. throughout the entire tenure of Austin Matthews. Yep. And they finally got it. And and he's a guy, he's young, he's, you know, they, they had to go to arbitration and they, they handed him a one-year deal, but, like, a guy that if he is, you know, a 917 save percentage, somebody you could build your franchise around. It's amazing how... How how everybody was was in the same camp, I think, this offseason that, hey, Joe Wall has a limited sample, um, but he has this, he has a multi-year contract for under a million bucks. And in the limited sample that we've seen of him, it's quite possible that he emerges as the starter of the season. And it's early days, and who knows, he could stub his toe tonight. Maybe Alex Ovechkin scores his first goal of the season, then that's the 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 barn doors uh, wide open for a Caps team that's really had trouble scoring mm-hmm. the puck this season. But at this point, yeah, it's, it's hard not to put your mind in the spot of, boy, that that was a nice little season. Congratulations, Ilya Samsonov. You did it. You you, you got us over the, the first-round series hump, and, and, and you were everything we could have anticipated a season ago, but but goaltending is voodoo, and you can go on your merry way. Joseph Wall's the future of the position. Yeah, we could talk about this for one second or 1,000 minutes. Uh, goaltending is voodoo. Both these guys will have runs where they feel like unassailably the guy at various points in times. That's what happens when you don't have one of the, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, however big your club is, we can quibble about it. It's Ottinger, it's Shesterkin, it's Sorokin, Hellybuck, whoever else you want to put in there. It's a small club. If you don't have one of those guys and they're at all capable, 
this is what it looks like is various times where these players take the net. I think the interesting thing to watch in this fan base is the thing you kind of mentioned there, the idea that Samsonov was someone who, you know, I won't say he led the Leafs to the second round. He was a big, big part of it for sure. But I don't think you can say he stole them that series by any means. I don't think that is good. No, no, I'm not trying to take away anything from him, but I don't think you are. No, I'm just saying if they handed out the Conn Smythe trophy at the end of that, I don't think it is unassailable that he is getting it. I think there are plenty of other people Mm. you could have pointed to. I don't know. Austin Matthews scoring five goals Mm. in a six game series. I kind of like that. That's pretty good for me. We don't need to get into that. The point I'm trying to make is that he was a big reason why they won, not the sole reason why they won. And the difference is with Wall is that there is, albeit limited, but some fan investment in them. He was part of the same Matthews draft, and I don't think anybody has been thinking back all the way to uh, whatever, whenever it was that Matthews got drafted that, oh, Joe Wall is going to be the guy. But he's been percolating around. He's had his moments. He played in World Juniors for the States. There have been times where you've had him on your radar. And the fact that he's going to be in the fold for one more year just has more equity there. The other part about it is that I think people and goaltending is voodoo. So I'm not part of this camp. I could see a world where either one of them goes on to have a stellar career where they're a number one guy for this team, yada, yada, yada. But I think a lot of people look at Joe Wall as the more likely guy to kind of take the realm there, which is weird because Samsonov is a first-round yeah. pick guy. And but, he did it last year. 919 save yep. percentage and the high danger save percentage was was otherworldly. But people have wanted this from Wall. The second he went on that run, or once it started to percolate throughout last year of the run he was going on and then he got mm-hmm. called up and he had some moments for this Leafs team, I do think the fan base is kind of tilted towards him and wanting him to be the guy because it feels, it feels like it's been a more natural build. Obviously with Samson, of we know the start he was first round pick he's yeah. been in washington now he's on a new team there's not as clean of a trajectory whereas i think people and we have to get out of the thinking of this way but they think of it as ah he had a good year in the american league he showed himself and then all of a sudden this year he grabs the net and we never have to think about goaltending again for the next five to ten years it's not going to work that way you got to calm down no. not you the royal you <laughs> the royal you yeah Goalies, man, they, the development of goalies is also weird. Yeah, drafted in 2016, uh, Joe I thought Wall was. that was the year I had in my head, but then I felt that that was way too long ago for Austin Matthews no. to have been drafted, but that's how time works. Yeah. Which no. I don't like. Made me that, feel, makes me feel very old. And they've asked Wall. It, both guys are interesting quotes in different uh, respects. Like Samsonov is the classic goalie who's like kind of off the wall. Oh, and, and he's got the yeah. like Russian accent yeah. of all of it. It's great. And Joe, ah, buying glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joe Wall's walking through the French Alps and and Again, yeah, really finding himself. Please have a good year. <laughs> please have yeah. a good year. If if it is a bad year for Joe Wall and yeah. I have to do the thing of he should have cared about hockey mm. more than the Swiss Alps. I don't want to do that. I do not want that to have happen, but it is holstered and ready should okay. he stumble. <laughs> That's good to know. I think, honestly, the- preemptively, again, I preemptively, as soon as Josh Cloak uh, put pen, he should have been first to have that take. He doesn't even get to have it. I'm taking it from him. That's my take first. This is the best case scenario for the Leafs, though, because, hey, Samsonov having a similar year to a season ago, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit diminished. That's good. But then you go into a season where he's the number one and you do have to pay him. And like the Jack Campbell, you yeah. just watched what happened mm-hmm. to him. Like the, it's not a dissim- no, dissimilar no. comparison. Like, yeah, okay, had a nice little year. And uh, Jack Campbell, lots of pedigree there as well. That could easily happen to Ilya Samsonov. Hey, maybe he has figured out. Maybe this is just a blip to start the season. But the idea of paying him 
boy, I don't know if it would be five times five. I mean, in the alternate scenario, mm-hmm. that seems not so great. And like maybe Joe Wall is that guy who's a restricted free agent at the end of the 24-25 season. But at least you get another year yep. of research and development with him. And obviously you would have to back him up with a, a credible number two. Mm-hmm. But it, it's going to be less expensive than whatever Samsonov would have been if he threw up another 919 this season. Yeah, for sure it is. The reason RFAs have their salary suppressed is because other teams have to come a calling with an offer sheet there. And we know how teams are with goaltenders in terms of how hesitant they are to commit to that. So as scary as it is, we've had these conversations of RFA forwards and what does that mean or defensemen. And quite honestly, we hope to have these conversations about Matthew Nyes and who knows, Mm -hmm. maybe one day Frazier Minton, but it's not going to look like Joe wall would have to go on a transcendent run as a goaltender for that RFA contract to be a problem. And everyone involved would sign up for that right now. Yeah, of course they would. Of course they would. And it's, yeah, it's just a one year commitment as opposed to whatever the five Yeah, and for the, you know, the, the contract that immediately jumps to mind for Samsonov's next one. And obviously this year we'll have a big, big, uh, you know, say in what that looks like is the one that Corpus Allo got in Ottawa, the five times four. So five years, $4 million cap hit. You know, I think, I, I think that is, a good kind of framework for what you think Samsonov could be worth, possibly more, eh, possibly less. Yeah, if you feel super confident that you're going to get above average oh, play. I'm, from- I'm not saying lock him up to that. I'm no, just no. saying that's what the next contract I'm, likely but looks I'm, like. I'm saying, and that's well within, like you fit that in your cap, no problem if you're getting a guy who's a 919 save percentage. Totally. But the the fact does remain that goaltending is voodoo, and you're just as likely to get that type of play from the guy who's making less than 800K in Joseph Wall than the guy that you're going to be paying four or five times that. The only way it works to really commit term, and I don't even mean dollar, because again, that's not a that's not an astronomical dollar figure. I think the only way it works to commit term to a goaltender in today's NHL, unless they are one of the, again, whatever the club is, Ottinger, Hellybuck, we, we know all the names. Unless it's one of those guys, I think the only way it works is if you have a Joe Wall pushing that guy, saying, okay, here's our young player, he's on an ELC, we do not think he should be the number one, but we absolutely think he can be a backup right now. I think that's honestly the only way it works, because you know, the Sens right now, again, they're obviously at a different kind of window, but they're starting to pay a lot of their guys. They got the $4 million for Corpus Allo, and then it's two seven five for for Forsberg, backing him up. And most teams, they do not want to be dedicating that to their to their backup. Yeah, honestly, if, if you get a season where Joe Wall emerges as the number one and Elias Samsonov takes a step back and you were able to hold on to Martin Jones at the AHL level. Oh like, yeah, I forgot about him. The uh, most important... <laughs> oh God, Frank was so mad when we asked him about that on the day of a Phillies playoff Well, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised that he, he was able to just skip through uh, waivers, but there he is. He's like, he's just I'm sitting so, there. I am so surprised by that. Again, the Leafs, and I know it was deeper into the season, but a few years ago, signed a guy out yeah. of not even, not the Swedish league, not not the KHL, but the Finnish league, Harry Sateri, and he yeah. was immediately claimed off what waivers. A what, what a name. No, if I set the over-under at a half game, Martin Jones plays for the Leafs this year. Like, that's that's minus 300, I oh, think. Oh, over for sure. Yeah, he's yeah. obviously going to play a game for the not, Toronto Maple not, uh, not old gangly Keith Petruzzelli. There, we won't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so that's that's the goaltending situation, which I think is the number one storyline headed into tonight's game. Sure. Um, I am interested to see what the minutes total looks like for Matthews and Marner. I mentioned it that like you can you can 
not have it two ways, right? Because there's been plenty of moments throughout the the course of Austin Matthews's career with the Toronto Maple Leafs that you said, guy needs to play more. Mm-hmm. He's a transcendent superstar. He's the best goal scorer in the history of the National Hockey League. Just play him until his legs fall off. Mm-hmm. Although, like again, like revisiting some yeah. ancient history, you oh. go back and look at some of the postseason um, minutes totals and like you compare them to the number of shifts that he had. Like, oh, yeah. There was like maybe a conditioning thing happening with Matthews earlier on in his career that was yeah. under-discussed as far as a, a, and a comparing it to a deployment issue with the, with the head coach. But yeah, 25 minutes a night is too much. Like that's, sure. nobody plays 25 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for a guy who's not one, he, he's not the healthiest human on the face of the planet, like he's he's just he's not going to play 82 games a season. We understand that, and this yep. team is still looking to make sure it's at its absolute best in April and May. Yeah, I, I think maybe easing up on on the minutes would be in in Sheldon Keefe's purview headed into tonight. You know what would be a great way to do that, and I'm not removing the responsibility from Sheldon Keefe for any of this, but a great way to do that would be just go out there and take a commanding lead against a bad hockey team. That's it. If they had any interest in in doing that, then that would allow Sheldon Keefe to do that. Cuz and again, I I don't want to I don't want to remove the criticism of Keefe. He could make a concerted decision to say it's the third game of the season. We don't yeah. need to push these guys. But if you, we have seen the starts this team has got off well, to, and we have seen how things snowball. So I'm actually not going to put this at the blame of it's at the feet of Keith. It's one thing to be in a tie game too, and yeah. it's another thing to be, be down three-one in the first period of a hockey game against a division rival, coming off a loss against the Panthers. Like, yeah, that's a game that you feel like you yeah. pretty well have to win. Yeah, or a bad Chicago Blackhawks team for for that matter, right? You don't yeah. need to fall behind to them either. So that that's the way I kind of look at it is that. You know, we we make a lot of excuses for for Sheldon Keefe. I, I, I believe he coached the team for a solid decade before he had a first training camp, and that was apparently the most detrimental thing in, in humankind. We we don't need to make him an excuse for him. It is the team that is holding back his ability to give these guys the proper amount of ice. They need to go out there and get a lead, and that's not just on Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares. Somebody else, you know, Max Domi and Matthew Nyes don't have to wait till the last six minutes of a game to to score a goal or have a good shift. They could go out there and start on time tonight so that's the thing i keep coming back to with the the ice time is he either can decide to punt on games which i don't think anyone wants to do or the team can decide to go out there and play like they're capable of early on well and you have to prove to him that you there's reason for him to have trust in you if you're exactly if you're a line that is not uh does not involve austin matthews i was gonna say just say ryan reeves just say (laughs) the ryan reeves line yeah that line is i don't think ever gonna gain enough trust that although what they had the shot advantage they were perfect last eight eight one on saturday against the tampa bay lightning no but that that max domi Matthew Nye's line, I think, specifically. Because I, I, I think we know that Nylander and Tavares, especially in the offensive zone, like when they're deployed there, that's going to be a dangerous, dangerous line. And those guys have mm-hmm. been best leave players outside of Matthews with the six goals in the first two games. They both have nine points. Yep. But it's that third line. And whether that was just a flash in the pan that we saw on Saturday or or whether there's actually something tangible with, with Nye's and with Max Domi, and with a defensively responsible center, David Camp, centering them. I think we need to just be realistic about what a third line looks like. For so long, we and this goes back to when Kadri was the third line center, and this should have been the thinking, rightfully so. But for so long, and I'm not the first one to make this point, Bourne makes it all the time, that the vision of this Leafs team has been... All right, first two lines, you know, they're going to win their minutes too, but they're just going to go up against head-up competition, and you're so deep, the Mm -hmm. third line should be the line that wins all their minutes. 
Teams with good third lines do not go out there and win them series or win them games because they are dominant every single shift they're out there. If they were, they wouldn't be on the third line. They would be a top six player. That's what it would look like. So I think when you look at Domi and Nye specifically, and this is obviously super oversimplification, but if the puck goes in the net, you're going to say they had a good game. And if it's not, it's going to be on David Kampf to kind of keep that line afloat and continue to give them their chances. I think that based on the way this team has been built, it's the group that makes the most sense in that spot right now. Now, because again, you've tried Domi in just about every other spot other than where Yarncroc is right now, and you're not going to have him on the fourth line. So this makes sense. You should try it. You should give it a little bit of run. Sheldon Keefe is obviously very hesitant to do that. So I think that I just think you need to be realistic about what it is. This is not going to be some barn burner third line that, you know, wins this team 10 games a season or anything like that. Well, a game on Saturday. Okay. So nine more. You, you, you uh, <laughs> If I set the over under it eight and a half more times, they do that. <laughs> Join me in taking the under. Thank you, Ben. So that, that's the way I look at it is just that this is a, t- that is a line that should they get a chance to can defend chemistry, but that's the concern with Keith and his tinkering ways. And again, I'm not even someone who hates it that much, but I think that when you are afraid to let anything marinate, that's where it becomes a problem. No, I I love the tinkering when you're chasing a game and you get Nylander uh, on a line with Matthews and Marner and how dangerous did did like that. Like that's that's the fun type. Of he must have loved that too, because I remember in the Columbus bubble when they loaded up, it was Tavares who got bumped yes. up, and I remember thinking, why don't they let the center stay in play center and let Nylander get bumped up? So he must have must have really appreciated getting uh, getting that opportunity. Yeah, that's the nuclear line that the Leafs can throw forward if they're chasing the game again. Like it would be, hey, now they're on a one game streak of scoring the first goal in the hockey game. It's happened one time this season, mm-hmm. then immediately went down three three. Well, no, just I'm just kind of thinking now, you know, not that you want to be in a position where you have to chase the game, but if that's the nuclear option you go with, the idea of those guys gaining the zone, having a really strong cycle shift, and then the group that comes over the boards after that is Burt, Nyes, and Tavares, if you already have offensive possession, that's pretty pretty scary second unit uh, if you're loading up there as how, well. How about the thought process of, hey, just loading up your lines at the beginning of the game, building oh, yourself a big that? lead? And then, yeah, then you you get the lines in a well, blender to, to to play a defensive style of hockey through the last whatever forty minutes of the game. I think the I think the thing about that is that we haven't seen Nyes back up there with Matthew and uh, Matthews and Marner. I mean, that is that is a guy who just in terms of stylistically, I think you probably want him to have the puck a little more than he would mm-hmm. with those two. So I think that that's why you're seeing it. But I still wonder if that's not the best version of that line. I don't think it gives you the best version of your forward lines. But if you do that, then you can go. Bertuzzi, Nylander, Tavares, like you're going to see tonight, and then you can have then you can have the the Domi, Camp kind of Yarncroc line, and that's obviously a very different line than what Domi's working with now. So yeah, I think I think there are a lot of machinations that make sense, and that's why you do see the experimenting from Keith. But I think that once we start to find a few things that work, he does owe it to the group and to himself, honestly, to let things marinate and see what he's got. Yeah, the the D pairings again, the, like the the the, the blue a, line is the blue line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like Manny being Manny. Yeah. This is the blue. Oh, line. well, hold on. It's like <laughs> no, I think it's very similar. No, but if he stunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Dodgers Manny being Manny. I thought, yeah, but like when Manny is Manny, yeah, you're right. You put up with it because, because he's so, so good. good. But yeah, it's like all the warts of Manny Ramirez without the upside of yeah. Manny Ramirez. Oh. But that being said, okay, one five-on-five goal against on Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
two goals against uh, before the empty netter made it 3-1 on Thursday against the Panthers. This is a team that was picking up points in its first two games of the season, but one of the early season narratives around this team is it couldn't keep the puck out of its own net. Goaltending might have been a part of that, which is <laughs> a different dude in net tonight. But yeah, the, the, like the, we, if you're talking about the positives surrounding this team recently, it is that they don't look like their hair is nearly as on fire in the defensive zone anymore. Well, and I think that's the important thing about playing with this blue line. You know, we, we talk about in all sports that you have to adjust your game to the personnel you have. And I think a lot of times people think of that with, you know, like offenses in football or systems in, in basketball. But, you know, what what did we say about that Leafs team last year when they were missing all those blue liners for long chunks and the the bulk of it with Morgan Riley missing, you know, a month and change is that they were a different team when they said, oh, we don't have anybody playing D back there. We better tighten things up. You know, yes. of course, the, the chief version of this is not a Leaf game. Well, not a Leaf win, but when they played in when the Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes had a Zamboni driver in net and they just yeah. said, how about we allow no shots tonight? And that worked out pretty well for them. <laughs> That's what this Leafs team is going to have to do. They are going to have to, they're they're going to have to learn to gain chemistry up front offensively and learn to play that way well, being incredibly responsible. Because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it. You know, TJ TJ Brody and Morgan Riley can play on a lot of teams, a lot of good ones. At that fact, it's just not in the positions they they are. John Klingberg, he's going to have his utility. It's not when you're defending a lead, and it's not when you're defending in your own zone. So they're just going to have to play a different style, and I think that's going to be the interesting thing for Keefe to kind of balance is how much do you want to push those forward units to really develop their chemistry because again it goes back to the conversation we had about baseball like we we all love defense we all love teams that can that can really take care of their business but you know what wins it's going out scoring goals or hitting home runs in the baseball parlance there so I think that that's kind of the, the push and pull the Leafs have going on right now the Leafs in the glamour position kicking off the frozen frenzy tonight <laughs> All 32 teams in action, 16 yeah. games, none of them at the same time. And it's Leafs. Hey, what better way to, to, to get your appetite ready than uh, Leafs and Capitals? Six o'clock tonight on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, when we come back, Buffalo Bills, uh, it's panic time. Oh, I, th- I think the panic button has been well depressed. It, 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 it may, yeah, it may have been punched down. People are depressed from pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, it's only going to get more so if they lose... On Thursday, yeah. at home to Baker Mayfield in the Tampa oh. Bay Buccaneers. I've been looking at that spread, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, Thursday nights are weird, but that's a tough spot for a Bills team in disarray right now. We'll talk to Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Dane Cook's perfectly shattered tour coming to Casino Rama Resort on November 10th. We're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show. Listen for the code word, then text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is COOK. Text COOK to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but if you don't win with us, you can secure your tickets at Ticketmaster. Time for today's Insider. The Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's Insider, Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Good morning, Peter. 
Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing all right. Um, are the Vikings back in it? Like, I, I've been thinking about the Lions being home and cooled out in that NFC North, and then I look at the upcoming schedule for the Vikings. It's weird that the Vikings and, and Lions don't play each other until week 16, but it, it must be said that it feels like they're in it just two games back now. Well, the weird thing about the NFL this year, and it, you could probably make a case that this happens every year, honestly, but but if you think about what's happened in the league so far in the first seven weeks, like, you know, after week three, Miami beats Denver by 50 and puts up 70. And then the next week they go and they lose by four touchdowns to Buffalo. Buffalo beats Miami 48 to 20, I think it was, and they lose two of the next three. The 49ers beat Dallas by 30, and then they lose their next two to uh, Cleveland and Minnesota. So I I think it's a great example. It's why somebody was asking me, well, you know, the the Lions, their their bubble is burst now. They'll now we know what the Lions are. I said, no, we don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't don't say that because. You know, if you look at every team that's ever won a lot, it, it, almost every team, you know, has a real bad game during the year or, or gets just get absolutely skunked. I, and, and look, I always use the example of New England in 2003 uh, opening the season, losing 31 nothing at Buffalo and then going on to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, so... I don't think one week should really, uh, you know, define a team. I mean, if you think about it, a week ago, uh, the Vikings beat Chicago in Chicago, but struggled every step of the way to win that game. And so I don't know. I mean, I look at the Vikings. The Vikings are one of those teams that they're always going to be in it because of their offense with or without Justin Jefferson. But this team, which has played a lot better defensively under Brian Flores than they had previously, this team is going to go as far as its defense will take them. And the last four weeks, they've played very, very solid defensive football. So that's why they have a chance. That plus the fact that they have an absolutely papier-mâché schedule. You know, the rest of the way. And you're right. The weird, One of the weirdest quirks about this schedule is that they play the Lions on Christmas Eve for the first time this year. And then the last game of the season, they play at Detroit. So it's a weird, weird schedule that they have the rest of the way, but a very manageable schedule. So you're right. The Vikings are not a great team, but they're certainly not out of it now at three and four. Yeah, I, I'm happy. You, I'm happy you mentioned what you touched on at the beginning there, Peter. The idea of normally by this time of the season, you know, it's not super concrete. We have enough of this team took care of this team. This team faltered against this team, and we can do the cross comparison. But there have been just so many of those weird results early on this year that I, I don't know that we're as as home and cooled, or, or at least with our perceptions as we normally are uh, heading into week eight of a, of an NFL uh, season. Here, you know, I will say the the one team I do feel certain about in terms of I know exactly. 
exactly what they are, and they haven't been immune to this. They've had their stinker as well is the Eagles. And, you know, that's not to say I don't think the Chiefs will be good or I don't think the 49ers will bounce back, but the Eagles are the one team I am certain about. And I have to be honest, just from my own perception, I was so happy to see them take care of business against the Dolphins because that's kind of how I expected that that game to go. Uh, What do you take out of that? And then just uh, where where are you at on on the Eagles as they uh, try to get back to and hopefully win a Super Bowl this year? To me, you know, the Eagles, what, you know, obviously the Eagles look great on Sunday. Um, I think the Dolphins are a little bit worrisome, but, I mean, we can get to them. But the Eagles, the Eagles have great depth. They do smart things. They traded for uh, Kevin Byard yesterday with the Tennessee Titans, which that's a Howie Roseman move, the, the GM of the Eagles is always going to be trying to make his team better. But I think there's a couple of things about the Eagles that would concern me. One is the health of Jalen Hurts. Um, You saw that Jalen Hurts seemed to be uh, limping off the field yesterday, uh, uh, Sunday at the end of the game. And that's not a good sign for this early in the season. And so to me, I think that, would bother me any team's overall health would bother me uh but that would be the biggest issue with me he's not running nearly as much as he would if he were totally healthy maybe he's got a little knee issue now he's wearing a a left knee brace so that bothers me not a lot bothers me about the eagles now because i think they're deep pretty much uh across the way but that bothers me. And then the, the, you know, just the fact that every team in a 17 game season is going to be affected by injuries and the Eagles are going to be no different. I don't know who it's going to be, but it always happens. It happened to the 49ers last night where you see, you know, any team that's playing without two of its best four players on offense is going to struggle. And when you're missing Trent Williams, the left tackle, and Debo Samuel, sort of the all-world receiver, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to win any game. And so every team is going to be hit by that bugaboo of injury at some point. Yeah, the the Cleveland Browns are going through it at the quarterback position, but they've won two of their three games without Deshaun Watson. It's not like they're, they're getting great play out of P.J. Walker, but he's been at the helm for a couple of victories and, yeah, did take a missed field goal by the Niners to win a couple of weeks ago. What, what do you make of the, the, the conversation around Deshaun Watson, who was active, started that game in Indianapolis on Sunday, and then there's some, I don't know, d- differing communication about how severe the injury is or, or whether he re-injured himself during that game. It seems like a little bit of a bizarre situation in Cleveland right now, Peter. I don't think it's a little bit of a bizarre situation. <laughs> I think it is a really bizarre situation. Because, first of all, you've got a head coach three weeks ago says the quarterback is healthy. Uh, The quarterback uh, was cleared to play, and the quarterback then says he can't play. And then when he finally does play, uh, he plays again poorly uh, and, and, and barely at all. Uh, you know, in this game when they go to Indianapolis. And I mean, I think the, I don't want to say the, the, the oddest thing, but 
I mean, here's a guy who <clears throat> is your franchise guy, and I get it, but the fact is he played 12 snaps in this game on Sunday. All right, he played basically one-sixth of the game, and they go on and somehow, some way, win this game, just a totally bizarre football game. But they go on and win this game, and apparently, we don't know this, maybe he told Kevin Stefanski he's not healthy enough to play. I don't know. But it was the whole thing had an odd feeling because there he is, Look, if you went back and watched that game on tape, I bet on TV he was shown 10 times on the sidelines, either clapping, cheering his team on, whatever, doing whatever. Every time he was shown, he was alone. Mm. It's like he's not over there helping, and he may have, but he wasn't shown on camera. He's not helping P.J. Walker get ready, uh, you know, or are cautioning him or giving him thoughts. And again, it may have happened, but every time they showed him, he was just standing there by himself. It it just, it's a weird situation in Cleveland right now in that they've won two games that, uh, you know, were just totally bizarre football games with their third string quarterback, not playing well, (laughs) but They've won both games with this guy. I, I mean, it's it, it basically, you know, I watched these last two games, and I'll tell you exactly what I say, that Miles Garrett should be in the conversation for MVP. God, what a machine. Because he has been the best player on the field by far in each of their two, last two games, their two wins. It, it, he's an amazing football player. And he's the one who lifted, the, kept the Cleveland Browns in the playoff race. Seriously. Miles Garrett, a defensive end, has kept them in. He is having the impact on games that Lawrence Taylor used to have. Well, I know that is as lofty a praise as humanly possible to, to reference LT and not, not my LT in Ladanian Tomlinson, but your LT in, yeah. in Lawrence Taylor. And yeah, what a, what a special talent he is. And honestly, I'm really happy you brought this up, Peter, because every week I've been meaning to ask about this, but there's just so many other things, but we're talking about it now. So we'll, we'll stick on it is we always talk about when we have a special generation of quarterbacks of, Oh, what a time this is. And we see it whenever, you know, a, a, a crop of the mentor, the league, we always make a point of talking about it and not to say these players in individually don't get talked about whether it be a Garrett or a Parsons or a Watt or, or somebody in that, in that class or the Bosa brothers, but man, what a special time this is for edge players and pass rushers in, in football right now, Peter. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think that's one of the reasons <clears throat> why, you know, you, what was interesting last night is that, I don't know. I watched a lot of the Manning cast, last night and Aaron Rodgers was on in the first half and Peyton Manning had just been talking about how this is something that is never discussed, you know, publicly, but this is, this is real. And what he was talking about is the fact that when Nick Bosa would go out of the game, uh, they would, and look, this is Peyton talking about when it, when he used to play, when there was a player on the other team, on the other defense, like Nick Bosa, 
every time he would leave the game for two two plays for a breather, they would uh, have different plays ready to go when Bosa wasn't in there because they realized that they were going to have more time, uh, maybe even a second more of time to get a play made rather than knowing that when Bosa was in there, uh, you know, you better get ready to get the ball out fast. And it's the same thing I believe right now because Rodgers said, you're absolutely right. When when you go up against guys like this, you've got to be ready to make plays quickly. And that, to me, is what you're talking about when you're talking about Bosa, Watt, Parsons, Garrett, even starting to talk about that way with Aiden Hutchinson now. And And I think that's an important part of the X's and O's of this game that we don't often consider. But, look, you're, I think we are in a golden age of – great edge rushers uh, of great defensive weapons who are making life miserable for quarterbacks. Lawrence Taylor in 86, the last defensive player to win the uh, the MVP award. But yeah, hard to argue with what Miles Garrett did on Sunday with a couple of strip sacks and then, uh, of course, the, the blocked uh, field goal. Uh, Buffalo Bills, I mean, here's the good news. They get a chance to get back in the win column super quickly uh, as they have the Thursday nighter against a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that the, the shine has quickly worn off in, in, in recent days. Yeah. But but this is a Bills team. Holy cow, Peter, that's, that's going through it. We understand it defensively because of the injuries they've suffered there. But to only score three points in the first half against the, the Patriots and then before that to, to only score 14 against a Giants team, like there's, it feels like there's, there's cause for real concern in Buffalo right now. I think there, there is cause for concern. And I think what really bothers me if I am looking at the bills right now is that, okay, so you beat Miami handily at home. You go to London and you struggle for four quarters. You can't get anything done consistently and you lose that game in London you are incredibly fortunate, in my opinion, to beat the Giants at home because, look, I don't know how anybody could watch the last play of that game and say there wasn't pass interference on Darren Waller. And just because you call it the previous play, uh, that doesn't make it an immune call on the next (laughs) snap. Uh, and that's the way that's the way the NFL is officiated. Well, we just called interference. We can't call it two plays in a row. If I'm a defensive coach, by the way, free play, and and I, yeah, it's a free play. Mug the living crap out of the receivers <laughs> because they're not calling interference two plays in a row, and that's what happened in that game. Uh, but 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 anyway, you know, and and you know, they go to New England. And and to me, let's let me let me just get to the absolute crux of this. All right, the Miami the the Miami Dolphins see the mighty old great Buffalo Bills, and they go down and 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 look. The Bills scored. I looked this up after the game Sunday. In consecutive games, they scored thirty eight, thirty seven, forty eight in three straight games. All right, so you figure, okay, they're on track. In the last three games, they've scored 20, 14, and 25. 
I mean, they're, they're, they are just not able to be consistently great. And I think it has to do with their offensive line has really been average at best. Uh, and, they're, and they're basically asking Josh Allen to do everything against increasing pressure. It's not a recipe for success. And look, I'll, I'll just say one last thing. You got Tampa Bay, and then, you know, you return sort of, and I don't mean to be, uh, you know, flip about this. Then you return to the scene of the crime. Week nine at Cincinnati, Sunday night game. Yeah. Imagine the emotion going in to play a night game in Cincinnati 10 months after one of your teammates almost dies on the field. It, you know, so this is not going to be an easy stretch for the Buffalo Bills. No, not at, uh, not at all. Uh, last one for me, Peter, but before we let you go, uh, you mentioned the Dolphins there, and they're, they're one of these teams that I think you can kind of tell yourself uh, a couple of different stories on based on what, what games you've seen. They have the Patriots next week, but it's the Germany game in a couple weeks' time. Uh, what do you expect when they inevitably do match up uh, against the Chiefs over in Germany, and, and how much do you think that'll be telling? Because I think for all the questions we have about the Chiefs, we've seen how high their floor is, so we're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, whereas I think a team like the Dolphins Dolphins, after getting shellacked in the two games you mentioned there, Eagles and Bills, I think I think they do have a little bit more to prove. How big of a kind of hurdle or check mark for them will that Chiefs game be in a couple of weeks? I think the biggest issue right now with Miami, and and look, we all get enamored of the big, shiny, wonderful objects, you know. Tua to Tyreek Hill. It's the most, right now, that a deep pass from Tua to Tyreek Hill is the most beautiful play in football. And you sort of think that, boy, they're going to do that every week and all that. Well, there's a defense on the other side playing the game also. And here's the most worrisome thing to me about the Dolphins. Okay. And, and again, this is going to sound, make it sound a lot worse, but, I mean, they have beaten five teams with losing records. They, the two teams they've played with winning records, they've lost by 28 and 14 points. And, you know, so, again, I, I, you don't want to make absolute judgments after seven weeks, but I would say that Miami at some point very soon – is going to have to play a really good team and win that game before anybody is really going to believe in them. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the Kansas City game coming up in two weeks. Uh, it's it's a gigantic test, and it's a test this team is going to take in Frankfurt, Germany. Mm-hmm. And so you know it's gonna it'll be a weird week anyway, but. You know, the one team we we don't talk that much about because they seem like metronomes uh, is Kansas City. And and, and any team that plays Kansas City, I don't know how they're going to win. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're better on defense than they should be. Steve Spagnuolo is a great coach. And they've got Patrick Mahomes, who I just – the more I watch Patrick Mahomes, the more I say I never thought that we would have a guy who would approach Brady. And I'm not saying that he will. I'm saying that my mind is open because I think Mahomes is really an amazing football player.
Yeah, and he's torching his division like Tom Brady did the AFC East. Uh, that that there's a lot yep. of similarities there. Peter, always a pleasure. Thanks. Hey, all the best, guys. Thank you. See you, Peter. Peter King, NBC Sports Football Morning in America. This insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Those folks in Germany get a pretty good matchup. Well, yeah. What? Why? I, I know everyone says because you want to sell the game. You could sell them on the Jags and the Colts again. Like, what are you what doing? Are, sending these good teams <laughs> over there. I again. What I'm is learning, wrong with you, NFL? I'm learning a lot about you. I just want it for me. I'm no, learning I'm not, a lot about you. I don't you. live in Dusseldorf or wherever the game is, okay? I'm learning a lot about you. What's the main takeaway today? You care so much about schedules. No, but only if I feel that I am not being catered to. I don't care. You're not being catered to. That's clear. Obviously. <laughs> but I that's I, it. You have a child. You're it's Sunday. You're up at quarter after Yeah. And then you know what I do? And then I, I grind in the salt mines until I put him <laughs> down before right before one o'clock yeah. for his nap. And then you know what I get? Uh, Hours oh, of unencumbered well football time. One o'clock is nap time. Twelve forty twelve forty and then the he wakes thing. up just for three. Not to get into hot dad talk, but well, like back <laughs> as good a time as any. Back when I had the toddlers pre preschool age children yep. I never really had set nap times. It was we were just very free-flowing, but that's really... The, I can see the advantages to, yeah. to the pre-plan. Can you also talking? see why I hate a good football game at 9.30 in the morning? Mm, Moderately intriguing one, I'm very here for. But yeah. that's too good. That's no. too good. Okay. We also got everything we wanted because we... Well, I again, I'm telling you what I care most about in the world. We both got to be right about our football opinions because... Mm. I came there with the Dolphins are frauds, the Eagles are a man's team, and he mostly agreed with that. But mm-hmm. then completely unasked about it, just wormed his way back to, you better respect the Chiefs, which is your oh, chief buddy. takeaway here. Yeah. Which, again, oh, not, I, I, I'm on no, a no, limb there. No, okay? it's just, it's just my okay. hot take is that you, the Kansas City Chiefs are really, really okay, good and the okay. team of this generation. You made a point of saying that that was the only thing you were yes. certain about, and I said, yeah, disagree. Yeah. I'm not uncertain about that. Yeah, I yeah. Jalen Hurts, broken ribs. I'm no, I'm also, totally confident in yeah. the Eagles. Yeah, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, receivers who are unable to catch the ball or stay doesn't, upright doesn't other, than, matter. other than Mr. Swift himself. McCall Hardman, get a, yeah. turn back and, uh, yeah. McCall Hardman. Yeah, I suppose. Whatever that means. <laughs> doesn't matter. Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight end in NFL history. And, and since, mm, listen. You know he's going to get a hex put on him. I don't, I think the opposite has happened. Are you talking about the, the Taylor yeah. Swift stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, they're they're staying together throughout the course of this season, right? Like, we don't mm. all agree the eventual breakup is coming if it's happening, and maybe it's just true love, right? Sure. Like I'm trying not to be cynical that. about it, and Jason's talking about it, you know, in, in very earnest terms, so maybe. Okay. But I, I, sure. the numbers are pretty impressive since they I did see the started splits, being a thing. The splits of I mean, the, he's throwing up 100 yards receiving yeah. in first halves of, of football games. I mean, that's kind of what he does. Like, let's not Yeah, but get, not to that degree. To a certain extent. I mean, they have less pass the, catchers. They have no one to catch yeah. the ball. Of course, he's going to get more shots. I mean, he's more set, targets, yeah. 29 straight targets with a reception. It's pretty darn good. Yeah, he's very good. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Hey, all don't right. paint me. I'm, don't paint me into a Chiefs are no good guy. I'm just <laughs> saying the Eagles are also very good. That's yeah. all I'm trying to say. All right. More hot takes tomorrow. Like Schedule. The, 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 <laughs> schedule talk and, like, hot takes, like, the, the Chiefs are really good tomorrow. All right. Uh, this has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. Good, good morning. morning.